All right, true confessions here. How many of you was it really hard to get out of bed this morning? Oh my gosh. I'd like to I'd like to start by by brightening up your day, literally by sharing the fact guess what time sunset is tonight? 7:01 p.m. Give it up for that. I mean, come on. This is actually my favorite day of the year, just not right now, but later on this afternoon. It's my favorite day of the year cuz it just means we get to go play and be in the outdoors for like the next forever months. It's going to be awesome. Um, I want to start uh, this morning by telling two stories from my personal life. Both of them uh, are, are very meaningful to me, and both of them were, oops, both of them were very instrumental in building my faith in, in completely different ways. You'll see here in a second. The first is this, it's, it's 2003, and I had just gotten married. I'd just gotten a job as a youth pastor up here in the mountain area, um, and I'd been at it for about six months, and then about six months into the job, I, I, I took a camping trip with all of the youth in our youth group, and um, you know, like, it takes a while to get to know people, and it was, there was like a breaking point on that camping trip. You know how campfires have a way of bringing people together? Um, we were at, at a campfire one night, and the kids that were, we were working in, in Kittridge, and um, there was some kids that, that literally, like, walked to, to church because their parents were drunk at night and couldn't bring them, and we started hearing all of these stories, and um, my heart broke for the youth in, in, our, in our youth group, and uh, I came home from that camping trip on, like, a Wednesday, and Christy wasn't able to go on the camping trip, so I grabbed her quick, and I said, hey, we got to talk, and, I, and we were living in Lakewood at the time. And because um, we, I mean, we just got married. We're living in Lakewood. Uh, we went to Bear Creek Lake Park. You guys know where Bear Creek, La- Creek Lake Park is? And there's some lakes there. We went in there, and I don't even, I, you probably weren't supposed to be there after sunset, but we were. And we were on this beach, and it was one of those nights where the moon's rising. And, and I just kind of just, over for an hour, told her about what I learned in this, this camping trip. And I was like, babe, we, we got to stay in this town. Um, we got to, to keep ministering to these kids. Um, and she's like, yeah, Josh, like, I, I agree, but how do we do that? Like, we don't live with them. We don't live there. We live down here. And we, we felt really confidently we needed to live in the community we wanted to, to care for, right? And um, it's so funny to think about it because it's 2003, right? And we're like, we can't afford to live in Evergreen. You know, it's, it's cost, you know houses cost like $200,000 or something like that. It's more than that. But it, it was... You know, and, and so we just, we, I remember that night on the beach, we just got on our knees and we just prayed on a Wednesday night. And we said, Lord, we want to live where you've called us to care. The next day, I get a phone call from a guy named Ben McComb. Thursday, on a, Thursday afternoon, I get a call from Ben McComb. And he was a guy I was working with, for, with youth in the area. And he said, hey, we've got this neighbor um, they, they kind of are gone most of the year. They would love somebody to stay in the bottom basement part of their house. You might want to give them a call. Well, I knew where Ben lived, and, and I was like, dude, that, that, that place is amazing. If it's his neighbor, this might be an amazing place. So I call on Friday. We call this, this family named the Penningtons to see if we can set up a time. We set up a time for Saturday. Saturday afternoon, we go meet the Penningtons, and we go to their house, and we drive up to this view. That's the backyard of their house. And, and so on Saturday, we're talking, and, and you know, like they're kind of asking us questions about you know, us, and, and we ask questions about them. And 
things are going well. And about an hour in, they're like, okay, you know, we, we think we'd like you to live here if you're open to it. Um, but we're going to have to charge you a little bit of money. And we're like, yeah, we understand that. They're like, would $250 a month be okay? And Chris, I'm like, um, Christy and I kind of look at each other like, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll talk about it and see, get back to you. And, we're, and we, we like leave the house and we're like, high five, $250 a month to live there. Like, this is awesome, you know. Long story short, we lived there from 2003 to 2006. Christy got her master's. I, was, I started working online. There, it, like, we tell the Penningtons all the time, hey, there's no way we'd still be here we'd be up here without you, without your, your, your like, giving us that, that gift in the beginning. This, this story makes its own gravy. It's awesome. It's, it's it, 10, like, so we move out 2006, and 10 years almost to the day, some of you guys know this story, 10 years almost to the day, we moved back into that house with that view, and this time it was ours. We bought it from the Penningtons. Um, and I, I can't tell you guys what this view means to me, it's that every time when I wake up in the morning, I look at that view, I just think of God's provision, how, how he's provided for us. Like, I look at that, that view, and I am reminded that God has my back. In just these little ways, you know, like little times in our lives when $250 in rent was exactly what we could afford and what we needed. And then later, and it, we'll, I'm interested to see God's done a lot in our family in that place. And, and that story is continuing. We actually moved out of that house yesterday. Some other things are coming up, and, and, and interested to see what God does there in the future. That's, that's story number one. Story number two, the year's 2014. A year before that, I had quit my job as, as a youth pastor uh, here in Evergreen. I was working with Young Life, but Christy and I, the year past, had felt God doing something that it was time for us to quit and, and to go into the unknown and, and do something new, to, to be a part of a different kind of ministry, a different kind of church. And during that time, I got a job offer at a church called Red Rocks Church. A lot of you guys are, are familiar with it. Um, and I'd known about Red Rocks Church. We'd actually been attending there kind of in, in, between, the, in between seasons. And um, I started meeting with one of the, the leaders there, one of the pastors there, and um, they, they said, we want you to apply for this position. We think you'd be good in it. You know, we love Evergreen. You love Evergreen. This, there might be something there in the future. And we started to talk. And a couple months went by of talking, and things were going well. And then we even started discussing salary, all these different details. And one day I get a call from the guy, who, the main guy who was inter interviewing me. And he, and he called me down. He's like, hey, can you come down to the, the Littleton campus? I was like, sure, yeah. And I, I thought I was going to sign paperwork. Literally, I thought I was going to sign on a dotted line somewhere, and I walk in, and, and he informs me, hey, you're, you're not going to get the job. We're not giving you the job, and then I met with the guy the, the next day, and, and um, a guy named Scott that's had become a really good friend of mine through this process, and uh, I was interested to meet with him to get a little bit more background as to why, and Scott basically looked at me, and he said, you know, your love for Evergreen, Josh, is so strong that we felt like if we hire you, we would be robbing a, a town of a church planter. And when he said church planter, I'm like, dude, I'm not a church planter. Like, like and, and literally, we had some correspondence over the next couple months, and he'd be like, hey, I'm praying for you on your church planting efforts. And I'm like, dude, shut up. I'm not a church planter. Like, I know, I'd known church planters before. They're depressing people. Like, it's just, you know, like... It, it, who wants to plant a church, you know? 
here we are, you know, like, like five years later, here we are. You guys kind of, even if you're new, you know the rest of the story. Here we are. But for, for a while, it was kind of dark. It was kind of hard. I, it felt like, you know, you know, have you ever watched a dog that's on a leash? Run, 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 and then get to the end of the leash. And it was like, that's what it felt like. For me at that moment, honestly, like it was, it was very jarring. But I think back to that now, even today, and I think about this often. Because some of you guys know, like Red Rocks Church was up here for a couple years, and then they had to leave. It didn't work out. And I often think to myself, oh my gosh, what if I had gotten hired? And what if we had gone up here? And what if, what would I be doing now? I wouldn't be here with you. We wouldn't be doing this. We wouldn't have built this, this place and done these things. And that my heart, like, sinks thinking about it. it you see the, the difference between those two stories? One was happy and one was you pray on a Tuesday and get an answer on a Sunday. And one was a little bit longer than that. You know, one, one I understood immediately. One, it took years for me to understand. Um, one's fun and positive, and the, the other one was discouraging and almost embarrassing at times. Um, another way of looking at it is like one of those stories of God's goodness was about, it was, it was kind of like a microwave. <laughs> and the other one was more like a crock pot. And what we're going to learn today is God's work in our lives, the way that God likes to bring goodness into our lives, a lot of times is more like a crock pot than a microwave. But the problem is, is you and I want the microwave. We want to pray on a Tuesday and get an answer on a Wednesday, right? But that's oftentimes not how God works. This sermon today is brought to you by the word providence. You know, the, the sun, like the Sesame Street, you know, the letter of the day is L for llama. Yeah, llama, yeah. <laughs> Today's sermon is brought to you by the word providence. And here's how we're going to define providence today. Providence is when God does something on our behalf. When God intervenes and maybe invades our lives on our behalf. He does something that's outside of our control that we couldn't have done for ourselves. He just kind of does it. And, and you maybe have some God providence stories in your own life where it's like, yeah, I was going this way and then all of a sudden I met them. And I didn't know it when I met them, but that would be a key relationship. I was doing this and that and my boss invited me too. Or, you know, I, I, I didn't, I, I've been praying for this for years and years and years, and I, I felt alone, and then all of a sudden I realized, you know, God was with me through the whole time. So we can see God's providence in a number of ways. We can see God, God's providence comes when he does something on behalf of us or does something on our behalf. It's like this, there's this moment in time where we come to realize that God has done something for us, the right time and the right place. And it's not just, it's, it's beyond coincidence. If you're a person of faith and you have some of these stories, it's like, it's hard to explain sometimes. It's like, man, it's just not coincidence. Like meeting the Penningtons was beyond coincidence for me. 
what happened with, with Red Rocks Church was beyond, like, that wasn't coincidence. That was, I, I see God was working something on my behalf. That's God's providence. Anytime you look back and you see that God's hand was work at work in your circumstances, that's God's providence. And see, so here's the thing about God's providence. God's providence, and I promise we're going to get to a really cool story, but we have to set this up right this morning. Um, here's the thing we need to know about God's providence. At first glance, we wish we could have more of it. Like, like, even maybe you're thinking, like, I don't have any of those stories. I wish God would do more on my behalf, because then maybe I'd have more faith. Maybe I would believe in him. Maybe I would do more things for him. But I just, I need to see it. And I haven't seen it. I haven't seen God do much on my behalf. Here's the thing about God's problem. Like, and if you're asking yourself, like, why doesn't God just do more? It would build my faith so much. That's what he wants, right? Why doesn't God just do more? And here's the thing. I was thinking about this week. God's providence, providence is, is something that's really tricky. God has to walk a very, very, very fine line. I'll give you an example. If you're a parent, or no, let's go this direction. If, if, you, if maybe when you were growing up, there was an experience that you had where your parents didn't come and rescue you. They didn't, they didn't come in. They could have helped. They, 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 they had the ability to come and do something for you and, and help you out, and they didn't. And you're like, hey, come on. Would you just help me with this homework? Would you, would you just you know, get this teacher off my back? Would you whatever, you know, like fill in the blank, and you, you want your parents, and you got mad at them because it's like, why are you being so distant? Raise your hand if you're a parent. I'm a parent now. And there are times where I let my kids flounder. Mm. There are times where I let my kids kind of question whether I'm going to come and help them. And it's like, and, and the reason why I let that happen is not because I don't like them. It's because I love them very much. And I love them too much to just go in and rescue them every time. Because on the flip side, some of us had parents that never let us flounder, that never let us fall. They were always there, the helicopter moms, and no, 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 you're okay, you're okay, and, 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 it, it, and they did that. Why did they do that? They did go, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, and they're, but they're always over your back, over, over your shoulder, and you're not making decisions for yourself, and that doesn't pan out in the end, and see, I think when it comes to providence, God's intervention in our lives, God's willingness to do something on our behalf, and even supernatural he feels like there's a catch-22. If I do that, if I'm constantly writing your name in the sky, telling you where to go, doing things on your behalf, then you're not doing things on your behalf. And if I do things on your behalf a lot, I'm robbing you of the opportunity to have faith that I'm with you even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever thought about it that way? Like, have you ever put yourself in God's shoes? Like, yeah, we've all cried out, God, give me a sign. Do something. Show yourself. I think God's up there saying, I have. And I am. But I'm going to do it in my way. It's an important thing to think about, God's providence. Um. And I think what we'll find today through our story is God, yes, yeah, sometimes God answers the prayers on Tuesday. He answers them on Wednesday in like kind of a microwave fashion. But I think what we'll find is God's, 
go-to is the crock pot. There's one, we started a story last week, uh, the book of Esther. Maybe some of you have read it this week because we, we've kind of took little notes of it here and there, but I said, you know, read the whole thing. It's a great story to read from start to finish. In the book of Esther, it's, it's really Esther's, um, it, it, the, you know, Esther's the main character. She's married to the king of Persia, King Xerxes, um, and she's Jewish, but she decides not to tell the king that because you learn very quickly through the text there's a lot of um, prejudice. There's some, some racism going on between the Jewish people and other people within the Persian Empire. And it becomes very clear, especially today in our, the, our story, that the Jewish people are actually in danger. That there's, there's a, a man named Haman who hates the Jews. And Haman rises to success. He gets to this very, very high status within the kingdom of, of Persia. And he's able to convince King Xerxes, you know, we don't need the Jews. The Jews are not good for us to have in the kingdom, so let's just destroy them. And so he gets the power to do that. He picks a day, and it goes out throughout the kingdom that this is going to happen. And Esther, Queen Esther at this point, learns through her uncle Mordecai, who, who knows Haman and Mordecai don't get along. In fact, the reason why Haman was so mad at the Jews is because Mordecai, who was a Jew, and he knew he was a Jew, wouldn't bow to Haman, even though he was above him. Haman was like, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty high dude, so I want everybody below me to bow to me. And Mordecai's like, I bow to God. Sorry, I'm not going to do that. And he gets mad at Mordecai, and he kind of takes it out on all of the Jewish people. Mordecai warns Esther, hey, listen, this is about to go down. We're about to lose everything as a people, as a nation. Now keep in mind, Esther has not revealed that she's Jewish because Mordecai told her, don't do it. You know, like it, might, it might not go well for you because of the climate the, uh, in Persia at that time. And so he's like, don't tell, don't tell anyone. And then all of a sudden, when this all goes down, Mordecai goes to Esther. He's like, now it's time. It's time for you to reveal your true identity and, and tell Xerxes who you are and plead on behalf of your people for him to spare us. And we ended last time with, with, with this verse. And, and es, es, no, at first Esther, she, she reminds him, hey, listen, I can't just go before the king. Anybody who just appears before the king, he can, he can kill them. That's how much power he has. And he, he's kind of a capricious guy. Like one moment he's happy and one moment he's not. And if he's not happy and I show up, I might die. And, and um, Mordecai replies with this. This is Esther 4, chapter 4, verse 14. All right, listen, Esther. If you remain silent, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance. He's like, I believe relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you, but know this, but you and your family, father's family, will perish. You're not going to escape this. Even if you keep this to yourself, you're just not going to escape this. And then he says these, these famous words, and who knows but that, you, that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. See, in this statement, you see this hoping, this hinting at what? God's providence. Hey, 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 Esther, who knows? 
Maybe for such a time as this, God has placed you here. He's put you in that position. He's done something on your behalf. He wants to do something on the behalf of all the Jews through you by this position. Who knows, maybe God's up to something, Esther. Would you meet him here is basically what Mordecai was saying. She's like, all right, I'll do it. Keep you fast. I'm going to fast. I'll go before the king. And, And she literally says these words, if I perish, I perish. It's that bleak. And um, what we're going to see here, it's so cool in this story. As we read through the story, I want you to just look for God's fingerprints. Again, I, I want to remind you, this is so cool to me. The book of Esther doesn't have the word God in it. It's a, it's a book that is, is, is without God, and yet you can't escape God in it. You see his hands and his fingerprints throughout it. But here's what you're going to see. We'll see God's fingerprints. Esther will not. She doesn't get to see God's fingerprints. We're in chapter 5. And we see Esther in chapter 5. She's building up the the courage just to simply appear before the king. And this is verse 2. She walks into into the throne room or whatever and says this. When he, that is Xerxes, saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her. And held out her gold, to her the golden scepter. And it's like this whole thing. you got the golden scepter. And if he holds out the golden scepter, you're okay. But if he doesn't, you die. You know? And then she goes and kisses whatever. You know, like it's this whole thing. Verse 3. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, it will be given to you. And we find in this moment, this capricious man is happy. <laughs> he has favor. For Esther, what do you want? Up to half the kingdom, it's yours, my queen. She's like, I just want you to come and dine with me today. I want you to bring Haman with you. So she invites Haman and King Xerxes to, to dinner. They have dinner. And, and after dinner, this is in verse, it's chapter 5, verse 7, Esther, Esther, you know, like, king's like, what do you want? Up to half the kingdom, I will give it to you. And she's like, all right, here's what I want. Esther replied, My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king. And then she chokes. Let the king and Haman come tomorrow to a banquet, and I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's questions. And this is so interesting because there's really no, we really don't know why she, that's not her request. We all know this. Like you don't know, you might not know much about the story, but you know that's not her request. I just want to have lunch with you again. No, that's not it. She wants, she has a lot more to say, but for some reason she doesn't say it now. And I have a theory that she choked. She just chickened out. It just, the words got stuck in her throat and she couldn't say them. So she bought herself time. You know, this is what I request. Here's my petition, king. Come back tomorrow. And the king's in good spirits. He's like, okay, sounds good. That was a good meal. Let's do it again tomorrow. Lunch, okay? So they both leave. Haman leaves, and and, and Haman's in really good spirits. Haman, this, this evil man who hates the Jews, who's about to exterminate and annihilate all of them, leaves the place, and he's like, I got this special thing with the queen and the king. And then he sees Mordecai. And it's literally like, oh, Mordecai. 
walks past him, because Mordecai is at the king's gate all the time, walks past him, he's like, I hate that guy. It's so funny, this, this, the scene in this, you need to read it. They go home, he goes home, Haman goes home to his friends and his family, he's like, man, I am such a lucky guy, I've got all these sons, the king thinks I'm awesome, I just even had this thing with the queen, but until Mordecai lives, you know, as long as Mordecai lives, I cannot be happy, blah, blah, you know, it's like this deep foreshadowing and all this kind of stuff. And then I love this, look at this, this is verse 7, uh, no, this is verse 14, his wife, Zeresh, this is Haman's wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, have a, here, here's what you should do, you know, this whole Mordecai thing, have a pole set up reaching, let's say, hi, the height of 50 cubits, which is like, it's like 75 feet tall, pretty tall pole, okay, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it, problem solved, perfect, right, then go to the king's the banquet and enjoy yourself, you know, you, you deserve it, this, this, this suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the poll set up. You know, I just picture it this way. You're like, thanks, honey. You're such a good listener. You always know what to say. You know, just like, it's, it's, it's literally, as you're reading it, it's that kind of feel. It's like this wholesome family coming together to set up a pole to impale somebody on. So then that night, Xerxes can't sleep. King Xerxes can't sleep. Ironically, he can't sleep. And so <laughs> this, is, this is so funny. He, he's, when he can't sleep, it, it seems like the practice is he has the king's annals or the king's journals or biographies come. Has somebody come with those journals and has them read aloud. You know your life is boring when, <laughs> you know, like, or like, you know you have problems when you're like, if, you know what's going to put me to sleep? My life. You know, like, this is, so he has, you know, like, it's, he's either got problems or he's just extremely vain or both. And he's got, he's, he's had this. These, these annals, these king's annals read to him. And verse 3 says, that, oh, and, then, and, and not only that, not only he can't sleep, he has these annals read to him. It just so happens that the section of history that it talks about is the section where Mordecai, I didn't mention this in the recap, but Mordecai, last time we were together, Mordecai uncovered a, a conspiracy, to an assassination cons conspiracy on, on Xerxes. Mordecai was heard about it, warned Esther about it. Esther warned King Xerxes. They found out about it. It was true. They had the guys killed. Xerxes is safe. And it just so happens, guess what? When they're reading, you know, like his history, what are they reading? They're reading about Mordecai and the time that Mordecai saved Xerxes' life. And Xerxes replies, he says this in verse 3, he's like, what honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? And they kind of look through the records. They're like, um, and they answer, Nothing is done for him, my lord, his attendants answered. And then, right at that moment, this is so cool, that's verse 3. Verse 4 says this, the king says, what's this noise I hear? Who's in the court? Now Haman had just answered, just so happened that Haman entered the outer court of the palace to do what? <laughs> to speak to the king about paling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. <laughs> I mean, you know, just going out about his business. When Haman entered, verse 6, the king asked him, what shall be done for the man the king delights to honor? <laughs> now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me, than I? So he answered, hmm, I haven't really thought about this. For the, king, for the man that the king delights to honor, verse 7, have him bring a royal robe. 
the king has worn and the horse that the king has ridden. One with, you know, maybe the royal crest is on the head. And he's not even finished. He just kind of keeps going. And then, then you know, let the robe, then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the kid's most notable princes, let's say. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city's city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what's done for the man the king delights to honor. I mean, that's just off the top of my head. I'm just, I'm just spitballing here. That's what I would do. I mean, like, like this is literally a daydream, okay? Like, this is like, like, Haman has thought about this very well. Like, if I ever got a chance to, this is what he would ask for. Isn't this just dripping with irony? Isn't this good? Verse 10, go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect any of this that you have re- recommended. So Mordecai has to go do this. Like, he's, he's just eating crow the whole time, right? He has to go do this. He puts, or no, Mordecai. Uh, Haman has to do this. He's eating crow. He puts more, this robe on Mordecai. I just, I was thinking, like, what is Mordecai thinking as he's, like, right? And he's like, this is awesome. This is so funny. Look at his face. You know, just like it's, it's, it's humiliating for him. Because, I mean, think about this. As he's going through the streets, everybody knows Mordecai's a Jew. It's only a matter of days before revenge is, is about to be taken on Mordecai. And here Haman has to do this very humble thing and exalt him. Walks through the city towns and takes hours. It's kind of like you get from the text, it almost like takes like a whole 24 hours to do. He's totally defeated. He's totally, totally deflated. He goes home. He shares back, he goes home back to his loving wife and his friends and shares what's happened. And they're like, oh snap, you're screwed, man. Like, they're, they're literally, that's the response is like, Oh, that's not good. If that just happened, like, only bad things are going to happen from here on. He's like, thanks, guys. You know, and then, and then it's literally, watch this, verse 14. While they were still talking with him, him meaning Haman, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet with Ed Esther had prepared. Isn't this good? It's so funny. It's just one thing after another. So they're sitting there reclining. They're having a good time. And, and of course, you know, Xerxes is like, oh, my queen, you're so lovely. What would I like? You know, she's like, I know, I know, up to half the kingdom. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I want. So she says this, verse 3, chapter 7, verse 3. Then, then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, this is what I want. Grant me my life. This is my petition. And, and, and spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. And what she was getting at there was the reason she said that, that we were being sold is this is this is like villainously brilliant. But like but Haman had figured out a way. He's like We'll exterminate the Jews by allowing anybody in the empire, you can kill the Jews and take their stuff. So once they're gone, their stuff is yours. So it incentivized people to, to, to carry out these orders. It made it, it made it lucrative to kill them. My people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. 
King Xerxes is appalled. Verse 5, he asks Queen Esther, he's like, whoa, 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 who is this? In fact, no, 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 now who is this? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing to my queen? See, it's, it's, it's thickening. Esther said, an adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. Dun, dun, dun. Like, this is like the greatest twist before. Luke, I am your father. You know, like, this is like right up there, like, whoa. You know, it's, it's just great. I, you, honestly, you have to read your Bibles more. It is so good. Even if you don't believe it's the word of God, it's such great literature. Um, it just, it doesn't get better. It, 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 hold on, it keeps going. Um, you know, it, it, adversary and an enemy, this vile Haman, and, and, and the text says Haman literally, he's terrified, like falls out of his chair. Verse 7, the king, Xerxes, got up in rage. He left his wine and went out into the palace. And the reason is he's got to figure this out. His signet ring, if you were with us last time, his signet ring was on every one of those letters that said, kill the Jews, kill the Jews, kill them over here, kill them in Susa, kill them over there, kill them everywhere you see. So he's got to figure out, okay, I've already, I already made this happen. Like, what am I going to do? So he goes outside. The king goes, he gets up in rage, left his wine, went out into the, part the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, it's done, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. <laughs> and it just so happened, just as the king returned from the palace, verse 8, palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman is falling on the couch where Esther was reclining, and it looks bad. <laughs> the king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in my own house? Good Lord, man, what are you doing? And then it's like, he's like, like what should we do with this guy? And, this, and look at look, look, verse, verse 9. It just keeps going. This is verse 7. It's 6, 7, 8, 9. It's just like one after another after another. As soon as the words had left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, you know, there is a pole reaching height of 50 cubits that stands in Haman's house. He had it set up for, did you know who he set up for? Mordecai, the guy yesterday yet you delighted to honor because he saved your life. The one who spoke up to help the king. The king said, impale him on it. Can I get a round of applause? Isn't this just awesome? Like, isn't this just like, it's just so good. It's so thick. It's so rich. It's just one thing after another, after another. And, and let's just review this. So it just so happens that when King, Queen Esther comes before the king, the king's in a good mood. He has favor with her. It just so happens that she chickens out when asking him for, the, the, for what she wants, for the petition. She can't do it, which just gives it more time for the gravy to thicken, more time for Haman to get in more trouble into the hot water, and better timing for, for, him to, to, for, the, for the king to be mad. It just so happens the king couldn't sleep that night. just so happens they, he, had, he reads the annals. It just so happens that the annals are all about how Mordecai saved his life. It just so happens as he was talking about that Haman and walked in one after another it just so happens that that that, um, that that as as they're reclining at the table or, or as as 
um, Xerxes is mad. He leaves. It just so happens that Haman does this thing that makes it look like he's, like, trying to grab her or something like that. And then all this happens. It's just so, it's, we see, see, the point is this. We see God's fingerprints all over it. This is so beyond coincidence. But I want, what I want to remind you is Esther knows zero of this. We know all of this. Because hindsight's 2020. We get to read her story that was probably written years after this all happened and they got together, her and Mordecai or whoever wrote it. And they're like, oh yeah, and remember this? And did you know that like it was right when Haman walked in, he was talking to Mordecai? And they're like, yeah, isn't that crazy? Esther knew none of it. Zero of this. Esther was not privy. See, God's providence is all throughout this, but what I want us to see is she was not privy to God's providence in the present. And we rarely are. It needs to be said. We are rarely privy to God's present, to God's providence in the present. It's just how it works, folks. If you've been a follower of Jesus long, you know this. That we serve a God who's not a microwave God. He's a crockpot God. He works over time. He works through years, and he works in mighty ways. But what's cool is he does it subtly. Subtly? Yeah, he does it quietly. He doesn't say, hey, 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 look at me, look at me. I See, see what I'm doing here? See what? No, he's, uh, he's much too much of a gentleman to do that. He has too much class to be like, look, 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 look. See, I told you so. And here's the big idea that I want us to, to kind of camp on as we close today. God's providence is often recognized in the rearview mirror. Most of the time, God's providence, his work in, his in our lives, his goodness in our life, him doing something on our behalf is rarely seen anywhere else but in the rear view mirror. When you and I are driving, we're, we're looking for it like, God, where are you? What direction do you want me to go? Where is your goodness? Where is your grace? Where is your leading? And God would say, child, trust me and look in the rear view mirror and see the goodness that I've bestowed on you in years past. And trust me in the present. God's providence is recognized, often recognized first in the rear view mirror. And my, my, my caution to you today is make sure you don't drive by it. Make sure you don't miss it. Because life gets busy, it gets crowded, we go, 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 and then all of a sudden we're like, where's God? And if you and I don't take time and stop and pray and reflect on what God has done in our lives, we're in danger of missing it completely. And then demanding God to microwave, to nuke our lives and do something cool, and when he doesn't, we walk away. And we don't trust him as much, or we get disillusioned. We get hardened towards him. That's not what he wants. Here's what I believe. I believe that God is actually, I believe that God is acting providentially in each of our lives right now. 
I believe that God has worked providentially. He's done things on your behalf in every single life in this room. And it's not loud. It's usually not flashy. It's more like just a little tap on the shoulder sometimes. And I think that's why Jesus, when he showed up, he'd tell parables. And people were like, what are you talking about? He's like, he who is ears, let him hear what the Spirit has to say. He who has eyes, let him see. The people who have ears to hear are the people who look in the rearview mirror. They're the people who look back. And don't, even when the present is a, is, is a fray, it's a fury, and you can't understand, you can't make sense of it. And he's like, child, I know you can't make sense of it, and you won't be able to, but you can look back. You can see my promises. You can see my providence. You can trust me and find the strength that you need to move forward. Here's what, here's what I want you to do. Here's your homework for the week. I want you to go home and take a marker, and on the mirror that you use the most, I want you to write rear view on there. That's your, the first bit of homework. And that, that's to remind you through the week, because you're going to forget this. It's, you know, it's sunny until 7 o'clock, and you've got plans. Um, it, right, the very first thing I want you to do is write rear view on any mirror in your house, preferably the one you use the most. Maybe write on your car rear view mirror to remind you. And this week, I want you to think through three ways that God has done something on your behalf in the past. Three things. It could be small. It could be big. It could be stories like where you prayed on a Tuesday and he just answered on a Wednesday. It could be stories where it's like it was something happened in your 20s and it didn't make sense until you were in your 30s. I want you to write, I want you to write rear view mirror on, on a mirror, a rear view on a mirror. I want you to think of three stories where you've been able to see God's provision. And here's the deal. Even if you're not sure about God, you're not sure what you believe about God, I think this would be an incredible exercise to just like, hey, God, if you are real, like I'm going to pretend that you are real for a second here. I'm going to pretend that you are with me for a second. If, 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 let's just say, hypothetically, there was a God that was with me in the universe. Looking back on my life, where would I have seen him work? And write three stories down. Acknowledge them. And of course, be grateful for them. Thank him for that. And if you're gutsy enough, share them with someone. Share them and say, hey, these are my, I, I was thinking about my life, and I've seen God do these things. I want to share that with you. Parents, look at me. If you're a parent in the room, do not miss this opportunity to do this as a family. And if your kids can get involved and they can say three things where they've seen it, that'd be awesome. But at the very least, as a mom and dad, your parents, or if you're a single mom, single dad, is just get, get in there and say, kids, I have to tell you these three stories. Because they're so important to me. Because this is what I've seen God do on my behalf. I believe in the providence of God. It's a good step. It's a good exercise. And it makes sure that we don't miss God's activity in our lives. God works in mysterious ways. He works in his own way. He does his own story. We're just a part of it. And it's frustrating because sometimes we want things now. We want things right then. We want the microwave. But we have to remember that God is a crockpot God. His providence is, is often recognized most looking back in the past.
Let's pray.